For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting of shareholders, and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12 nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the Tryon Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at VoteDisney.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. It is Monday, December 4th. If you're listening to this show, it means you're one of the 1.7 billion people who listen to at least one podcast this month worldwide. That number is from Deloitte, the consulting firm. It's actually their prediction for monthly listeners starting next month for 2024. A big increase. The estimated annual global revenue for podcasts will be $3.5 billion. That's a 30% gain from this year. But it's actually not that much revenue considering the audience. It's only about $2 a listener per year. By comparison, streaming music services get about $31 a listener, according to the study. Audiobooks get $26. Those are mostly paid subscription services, and most podcasts, as we know, are free. But even radio gets $10 a listener. The point is that podcasts are growing, but they're not very profitable, at least compared to other media, meaning there's a ton of podcast content out there, and the monetization is still not great. That's partly because the audience for shows is so hard to quantify. Success and failure in this business is very, very murky. There are the big shows we all know, the Joe Rogans, the Smart List, Bill Simmons podcast, tons of crime shows you've probably never heard of that are actually huge. But beyond that, the dirty secret of podcasts is that most of them have almost no audience. And the audiences are the definition of fragmentation. It's not just that my favorites are probably not your favorites, but chances are you've never even heard of the pods I like, or even most of the top 10 on Apple and Spotify, the two biggest platforms. Those lists are very different because those services have different audiences. Apple's audience is older and is dominated by true crime. Spotify skews younger and elevates more personality-driven shows. YouTube is an increasingly important platform as well, with video versions of pods becoming more popular and more lucrative thanks to video ads. There was a time recently where Hollywood kind of went all in on podcasts. With big names like Kim Kardashian and Meghan and Harry were paid huge sums to do pods for the big platforms. Some worked, Smartless is a good example of that, but many didn't. And while it still seems like every day brings a new celebrity or athlete podcast, there's been a pullback on the money being spent on talent, as well as on big acquisitions, like when Spotify had paid $340 million for Gimlet and Parcast, two narrative pod studios. Those kinds of pods are much harder to monetize with much higher overhead than just people talking like on this show. Or when Amazon paid around $300 million for Wondry, Another mostly narrative pod studio. Oof. Spotify also bought The Ringer, which makes this show. And I think that's worked out a little better for them. But even though we planned this podcast last week, Spotify announced today that it's laying off 17% of employees. Thankfully not producer Craig, but that's a huge hit. So where is the podcast business these days? Growing but challenged? The future of audio, yet also a less lucrative future? 
Our normal Monday guy, Lucas, is traveling today. So we've got a full-time podcast business reporter in here instead. His Bloomberg colleague, Ashley Carmen. So today it's a podcast about podcasts. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Tap. Okay, we are here with Ashley Carmen, who is a reporter at Bloomberg covering the music industry and the podcast industry. Welcome, Ashley. Hello. So a disclosure at first, this show is produced by The Ringer and Puck. The Ringer is owned by Spotify, which is a major player in the podcast industry. So we're going to be talking about Spotify as if this show is not produced by that company. Uh, but just a disclaimer there. I wanted to do a podcast show because I feel like it is in this weird spot these days where clearly it's growing. People know that the terrestrial radio era is coming to an end and the podcast era, the digital audio, the streaming era is at the very beginning. And this is going to be the format for audio going forward. But similar to the whole Netflix revolution in video, it's kind of unclear who the winners and losers are going to be in this space. And the revenue attached to podcasts has not really caught up to the level of penetration and usership around the world. So is that an accurate assessment in your view of where we are in the podcast landscape? Yeah, I would say so. I would just, you know, put the context in that primarily the big tech companies, Spotify among them, spent an astronomical amount of money thinking, one, they could own the podcast space, and two, that yes, the revenue would follow and, and they could usher that golden era in. And I think what we're seeing this year is sort of the after effects and the reality hitting about those goals. Right. So maybe paying nine figures to Meghan Markle and Harry wasn't a good idea. Or maybe buying Wondery which Amazon paid a fortune for, or Parcast or Gimlet, which Spotify paid a fortune for. Maybe those kinds of acquisitions were a little overheated and overinflated. What about the talent market? There's so many of these talent deals that all of the players have made with big traditional media talents. Some of them worked. Smartless, great example. Those guys killing it. Most of them didn't work, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. Smartless is kind of the primo example of where things go right. It's one of the most popular shows out there right now. But who's paying Amazon to listen to Smartless early? They have this deal where if you're in the Amazon like premium tier, you get access to Smartless like a week before everyone else. Like, Who does that? Who cares enough about Smartless to need it a week before it's on all the other platforms? Uh, I don't know anyone personally, but, uh, you know, it is always surprising. <laughs> you gotta be like a Sean Hayes super fan. Like, you need to know exactly what he says at all times. <laughs> I do think Wondery has a subscription business that they've built prior to even their acquisition. But, mm -hmm. you know, Smartless is brand safe content. I'm sure advertisers love it. They get to have these massive names next to their product, which is kind of like the original value proposition of podcasts was that you could be endorsed essentially by hosts that carry some cultural cachet. But yeah, on the celebrity front, like, yeah, there there were some massive deals. I wouldn't necessarily say those panned out. You mentioned Meghan Markle. There was Kim Kardashian. The Obamas have gone on to do some more shows. They have a deal with Audible now. Yeah, but that, come on. The Obamas audio <laughs> ambitions. I mean, who are we kidding? Like, 
Michelle did great. You know, that at least started strong. But, like, they're half-assing it. It's pretty clear, right? I mean, they do the shows, you know? They showed up. Prince Harry does not have a show. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but I would say that era is no longer really with us. I mean, the story that kind of surprised me this year that I think kind of encapsulates this was, and I'm going to butcher her last name, Emily Ratajkowski. Emra, Emrata. Had, you could just say Emrata. Emrata. She had a show with Sony Music. And seemingly it was doing well. It was reaching a bunch of people, but Sony was not able to monetize it and therefore they canceled it. And I'm sure, I mean, this part, I don't know, but I'm sure they were having to pay a minimum guarantee to make her do the show. So yeah, yeah, those, those deal terms are kind of where things got tricky in podcasting. Do you think the podcast market is oversaturated with celebrities? Like there are too many. It's like, I can't even keep up with new shows that launch. And like the way that podcasts work, it's so niche that I have no idea whether a show is successful. It could have a huge audience. Some of these comedy podcasts that are out there, comics I've never heard of, have gigantic followings on their podcasts. But it's possible to have a massive, massive show. And most of the world has no idea it exists. Yeah, I think that's kind of the story with podcasting is it's this iceberg. You know of these certain shows like a Smart List, for example, or Rogan that you're like, these are huge. But actually underneath the water are these creator-oriented, digital-first, oftentimes Patreon or Substack-supported businesses that just are massive. Do I think that it's oversaturated? At this point, I, I don't think so. I mean, I no? don't... I don't hear that much about new shows. I just think that if you're going to launch a celebrity show, it has to have a real angle. It can't just be whoever talking about whatever they're interested in that day. You need an actual angle. You need an actual fan base that wants to follow them through. I think it can be successful. Amy Poehler just launched a show. It's on the New York Times Best Podcast of the Year list. That Julia Louis-Dreyfus show seems to be doing well. That show was on one of the top Apple podcast shows. Like, I mm. think you just have, and that, both of those have specific angles. They're not just like, I'm talking about wellness or whatever. So I do think there's always room for more content. It's just like, how do you break through and how do you make it a unique offering that people want it, to It has to be something you care about. Like when Conan left his talk show and did a podcast, it was his primary thing. This was his driver. This is what he was focusing on now. When you are ex-celebrity that's doing 20 different things and, oh, yeah, I have a podcast. Like, I feel like the audience can hear that and can sense that you don't actually give a shit about what you're doing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what the industry is recognizing now is when they're vetting these shows, they're like, hey, are you just shopping this around because this person needs some new business or they actually want to be podcasters and they're willing to sit in the studio for hours and do this thing. Yeah. Like I heard this at the agencies. It was always the question during like the early 2020s was like, okay, wh what's my podcast strategy? <laughs> it's like, you, yeah. know, you gotta have, you gotta have an idea for a show. Like what, what, unless you are a huge name or you're dating Taylor Swift, like you gotta have a concept. Yeah, exactly. So this all leads to the question of quantifying listenership. And this is an issue that is true throughout the streaming landscape, but I think it's especially problematic in podcasts. Determining what shows are hits, what shows are popular, it's so difficult. And these lists that come out, like the Spotify list, it's you know people who listen for it to a show. The Apple list is a different metric. You can kind of game the Apple list if you post 
multiple shows a day, you can rise through the Apple rankings. But as someone who reports on this, how do you even determine what is popular? It's tricky. Part of it is just being tapped into the industry, talking to people outside of the industry, hearing what people are listening to. Like, I think Huberman Lab is a really good example. I was on a bachelorette party and I was asking people, like a nerd, what they listen to as podcasts. And someone was like, I love Andrew Huberman. And I'm like, who's that? Now yeah, he's that's literally number one eight of the biggest. On the, that's number eight on the Apple top 10 list for the year. And number three on Spotify. Yeah, he's huge now. And so I think it's a lot of just talking to people, hearing what what's driving the culture, really, and driving conversation, I think is a big part of it. But yeah, numbers wise, I mean, no one likes to really share their numbers. And you always kind of have to have the asterisk next to it as like, "Mm, how big is this really? Yeah, trust me, I have a show for Spotify. And I ask all the time, and they're like, Oh, you're doing great. Or Craig will be like, Yeah, we had a great episode. But like, they don't actually tell me the numbers. Because it's just like the other streaming services, they don't want that out there. And they don't want any problems with shows that are doing well versus other shows that aren't. And if you look at the Spotify top 10, this is the numbers that Spotify released. It's Joe Rogan, Call Her Daddy, which those are you know shows everybody knows are hits. Mm-hmm. Huberman Lab, Emma Chamberlain, Jay Shetty, Crime Junkie, Theo Vaughn, Serial Killers. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I know exactly what it is. The Diary of a CEO <laughs> with Stephen Bartlett, and then TED Talks Daily. So that's the Spotify list. The Apple list, Mm -hmm. very different. A little bit more true crime oriented. Crime Junkie, The Daily. Dateline NBC, Smartless. This American Life, Morbid. I don't know what Morbid is, probably crime. Up First, Huberman Lab, Hidden Brain, and Stuff You Should Know. So generally speaking, Apple skews towards crime and towards like nerdier stuff. And more established programming, like TED Talks, NPR. So to me, that also suggests podcast listeners who've been in the ecosystem for a very long time and maybe have like the automatic subscribe download set up and it just keeps coming. And then Spotify tends to skew personality driven, a little bit more personality driven. And obviously the two biggest shows are Spotify exclusives with Rogan and Call Her Daddy. Yeah. What about news pods? I do feel like for the younger generation, these news-driven pods are kind of replacing cable news. You can tune in. Some of them are very short. Places like The Daily are doing quality journalism. And most of the big media brands have a version of a pod product uh, for their news. Is that a growth area too? Or is that something that news brands feel they have to do and the audience is not necessarily there? I think that news has sort of shaken out already. At this point, all the established legacy players have their shows. You probably are going to it already. And if you're not, I don't know if you'll be swayed to. And and honestly, I've been wondering whether the daily format actually isn't enough. Like news is so fast. It's so changing on social media and TikTok, you have a reaction video within seconds, basically, of news happening. So I do wonder if actually the daily type format almost needs to be innovated on and changed in some way. I mean, the New York Times launched its audio app where it's trying to tackle a bunch of different stories and audio formats. And maybe that's more of where it's moving. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Daylight Saving Time is back. Wait, wasn't that a movie from 2009? Okay. 
Anyway, I do love more hours of daylight. But if you're hiring, it really doesn't matter. Because even though it may feel as if your day is longer, it won't help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. Once you post your job, ZipRecruiter sends it to 100 plus job sites and then uses smart technology to find people with the skills and experience to match the position. So spring forward with ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers get a quality candidate within the first day. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash town. Tap the banner to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. The acquisition space, that's over, right? The tech companies spending big to acquire. It is probably over for the time being the only place I'm watching is maybe the ad agency side of things, podcast ad agency world. Um, but this Deloitte study suggests that more consolidation is needed in the space. And consolidation means M&A, big companies buying small well, companies. Well, okay, I guess I should say I'm thinking the big tech companies, like these massive, mm -hmm. massive payouts, like huge, splashy deals. I don't necessarily foresee much of that in, in the near, near future. However, the small players, the small production companies have already begun to consolidate and find strength together. And so really, you're seeing complementary businesses roll up. So you might have um, like a company that really specializes in highly produced narrative shows roll up with one that specializes in creating branded shows like for brands, things like that, where they can just be stronger together, but still a very small shop. I mean, that side of things I do, there are people looking to do more of that. When Daniel Eck talks about how they essentially spent too much money and you know, mostly the layoffs were blamed on interest rates and kind of right-sizing the company, but he did talk about how they spent too much. Is he specifically referring to the podcast space there or is he referring to overall tech support and all the backup people that they've hired? He didn't specify. I mean, they have spent over a billion dollars on podcasting. So that has definitely been a significant place they have spent money. But their workforce has also basically doubled since 2020. It was around 5,000 something. Yeah, and at not all the start in the of 2020. Space. And now over 10, it was over 10,000 at the end of last year. So it, they grew too. <laughs> you know, the underappreciated player in podcasting is YouTube. I was shocked to learn how much of podcast consumption is done via YouTube. And you see most of the big shows now have a video component. Most of the comedians who do their shows, they it almost looks like a late night set where they're just kind of doing their show like a late night talk show, except it's audio and you can watch on video. Is that just for the monetization element because it's easier to monetize via video ads? Or is it that people like putting on a YouTube video and just having it on on their screen or on their TV while they're doing other stuff? It's monetization, but depending on the shop, 
maybe even more than that, it's the discovery. The algorithms to discover a podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts are essentially non-existent. I mean, they probably exist, but discovery is a huge problem and Mm -hmm. it's really hard to find a new show to listen to. Whereas, obviously, if you can post a YouTube video that's like, right now, us talking about Spotify layoffs, what does it mean? Someone is probably looking that up and can find it and will find your show. Um, So that's more of what it is, is you take advantage of YouTube's algorithms and you can turn on their advertising and make some money. Yeah, it seems like that. I mean, what what is the CPM increase for YouTube versus a place like Apple or Spotify? Do you know the difference? I think that the average CPM for the industry, I want to say right now is hovering around $20 according to AdvertiseCast. So it's really high. Mm-hmm. It's much higher than you get from YouTube, just their AdWords. But you could sell ads into your show at a high CPM. Like I was going to say, yeah. So ultimately, the monetization on video could be better than on audio. Yeah. I mean, if you are selling ads into the video version, like you doing a host read ad that is just in that show forever, plus you turn on AdWords. The smart list guys, that Amazon deal was a $100 million deal. That was out there. Was it and 100 or 80? I think it might have been 80. But I okay. Well, now. whatever. It's a shitload of money for their show. And that's not even including the ad revenue, right? That was the exclusivity deal to get their show on Amazon. Well, yeah, but it's the exclusive rights to monetize it as well. Okay, so that's packed into that. Okay, that that makes a lot more sense. It just feels like everyone is chasing that. And I don't know that everyone knows how to turn their show into that. Like that is a particular, it's like everything. You can't explain the hits. They just happen. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think you have to solve the discovery problem in podcasts. Maybe YouTube will do it. Podcasters are putting their shows on TikTok too. Maybe that will help. Otherwise, you have a real problem. And then, yeah, you have to be able to monetize. And we didn't really talk much about the ad industry at this time, but that has also been really difficult. The ad slowdown. Yeah, the ad slowdown is hurt. Yeah, In media in general too. but, But it doesn't... like To me, that's the crux of the conversation around podcasts right now is that we are in a time of growth for the industry, but the ad market sucks. So the ad market is necessarily going to hurt the podcast business, but it doesn't really mean that the podcast business isn't a good business. It just means that we are in a cyclical downtime for advertising. And Mm -hmm. that will likely come back at some point. And when it does, it's probably going to benefit podcasts more than it does terrestrial radio or some of these other legacy products. Is that kind of the thinking? It seems kind of short-sighted for these companies to back away from pods if this is a short-term downturn in the market. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a confluence of things. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. there is that where podcasts drive culture. There is no denying it. They are growing from an audience perspective and people love podcasts. The advertising market is down across all media. And it's unfortunate. I think it's just really bad timing with also the push from investors who are like, we want you to be profitable. Mm -hmm. The interest rates are climbing. We can't have you with debt. Like you need to start making money. And because of that, that's really what's driving this pullback. I think they're not in growth mode anymore. They need results. And yeah, maybe it's short-sighted, but I think they assume that if they want to get back into podcasting from at least an original content perspective, they can always green light some more shows and use a third party to make those shows happen. Just right now, they can't make their money back on that because of the ad market. What about subscriptions? 
Does anyone pay for podcasts in a meaningful way? People pay. Definitely I mean, they do. Very they niche do. though, right? Like business pods and investor pods and things like that. Like people will pay for that. Comedians like also. Oh, they. Oh, really? Like which comics have a good subscription business? Tim Dillon. So how much does a guy like Tim Dillon make and on his podcast? So he doesn't publicly show his stats anymore, but like looking through Reddit and this is what one person shared from a screenshot. At the time, a year ago, he was making over $200,000 a month on Patreon with 41,000 people subscribed. Hmm, not bad. I take not that. Bad. <laughs> I take yeah, that. Not bad? I take that. Craig, you don't know how much the ringer pays me for this show. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, you're making 200 grand a month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's like pocket change. <laughs> there was a moment when Apple Podcasts announced subscriptions that everyone thought this was going to usher in this whole new era of... Yeah. Everyone's going to subscribe and pay for podcasts. I don't think that happened. Yeah, Luminary was doing Trevor Noah and a bunch of other shows on a podcast subscription app. Like, it's clear that the Netflix for podcasts does not exist. And will it ever is the question. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I am doubtful for that. It's just there's so much out there for free with infinite capabilities on pods. I mean, it's become like a, a running joke in the culture. Like, if you're a white male in Los Angeles and New York in your 30s or 40s, you probably have a podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And it seems like they're all free. I think the main thing people pay for is the bonus content. They will mm -hmm. take one extra episode from their favorite podcaster a week, and it's a compelling offering. And that's a real business? I think it can be for some people. Not everybody. It's not an everybody thing. But for some people, they can probably, yeah, build a business. All right. So give me the overall outlook on the podcast business. Is this going to be a year, 2024, 2025, a year or two of growth? Is it going to be continued stagnation? Are we going to see players fall out? Are we going to see companies stop doing pods in a meaningful way? Like what's going to be the big narrative? I would hope all the cuts are done. I'm anticipating next year that it's really going to come down to the ad market. Will advertisers get in on this? And the thing that I'm watching and that I'm nervous for the podcast industry is the biggest spenders have historically been these D2C brands. So like an Athletic Greens or BetterHelp or Casper or whatever. They have been in that business for a very long time. So what I'm wondering is, can the industry essentially grow faster than they lose interest, essentially? Like, do they tap out the market at some point and they're like, okay, we're done with podcasts? And can there be new advertisers that come in to replace them? You're talking about like the Simply Safes and Cash App and these. Yeah, these like the go tos that have always right. been there yeah, and yeah, who yeah. spend a lot in the space, a lot. Right. And, and just given the time they've been doing this, maybe they pull back and there's not someone to replace them. Um, I don't know. I hear exactly. more blue chip brands advertising on pods than ever. All of the tech companies want those brands to come in and spend. So can they convince them that podcasting is worth being on, that it moves the market in some way for them, and that they're talking to the right audiences, and that they can be brand safe? I mean, these are all the things that the podcast industry is figuring out and actively trying to do now. So that's kind of the story for next year is like, where does the advertising market go? I'm awful at making predictions, and I probably shouldn't. So. Hmm. All right. Well, I have no problem making predictions. I think it's going to be a good year for podcasts, not just because I have one. I just think that the, if the ad market starts coming back a little, interest rates uh, cool off and go down, I think we will we will see some growth this next year. I mean, the numbers are there. The audience is like them. And typically in media, when the audience is 
acting, the monetization will catch up. Um, so we'll see. All right, Ashley, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, we're back with the call sheet. Craig, what would our bonus pod Patreon episodes consist of? Uh, it, it's just live footage of you and me going to premieres. It's just the Wonka premiere live. <laughs> the live stream of me having awkward conversations with people at premieres that I've talked shit about on the pod. <laughs> I would, would pay, pay for that, that, actually. Yeah. And you're looking like constantly like, oh, who was that? Who was that? Oh, no. <laughs> Trying to that remember was Kathy names. Kennedy? Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Today, we're talking about bundles. I don't know if you saw the news, but... Verizon is now offering the ad tiers of Netflix and Max for 10 bucks, a 40% discount off of what they would cost normally. And a couple of things going on here. First of all, it's not unusual for these telecoms to do bundles. They've done stuff before. And if you remember when Disney Plus launched, Verizon was basically giving it away. I mean, a lot of the original Disney Plus subscribers came through its deal with. Verizon. The Verizon thing is also interesting because you can actually already get the Disney bundle, which like Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for 10 bucks. So that's basically five streaming services for 20 bucks a month. But this one is interesting because Netflix has never bundled the ad tier before. And it is a sign of what we are going to see, I think, over the next two years is this great rebundling of services. So my prediction is, is that by the end of 2025, we will have a fully bundled streaming ecosystem. Not fully bundled, but you will be able to get most, if not all of these services in some kind of bundle. And bundles make a lot of sense. People are used to it. We've had a cable bundle for 30, 40 years now. And this is moving over to streaming. And we've had mostly an a la carte system. And it's got a lot of friction to it. You have to exit one. You have to go into another. You have to subscribe individually, unsubscribe when you don't want it. Bundles are proven to reduce churn. If you're getting multiple services together, you are less likely to cancel because you have a fallback on other services that you might like. And you're not going to come in and out like people do. And the churn rates are rising in streaming. There was a report from Antenna last week that said that the churn rates are at 5.7% for streaming services, which is a new high. That means 5.7% of people who subscribe cancel in a given month. Not great. And that was in October. So bundles are the answer here. And it's smart. And there's going to be tons of them coming forward. So 2024 is going to be, in your opinion, the year of the digital bundle. The year of the bundle. Trademark that. I like the ring of that. I like, and we're going to get you into a bundle too. I hope so. Look, I can't wait. I don't think anybody is upset about the bundling. They want it to happen as quickly as possible. It is a disaster right now trying to watch sports, trying to switch between all your services to watch something. Flipping back and forth between a game on cable and something you want to watch on streaming is a nightmare. So I can't wait for it all to be in one place. I don't care if it's on Apple hosting it or Amazon or whatever. I just want it to get there. It will. That's my prediction. Craig will be happy by the end of 2025. Okay. <laughs> end of 2024, not 2025. No, 2025. I'm giving this two oh. years. Okay. Next year may be the year of the bundle, but I'm giving this two years for fully bundle where you can sign up for whatever service, Amazon or whatever, and you will be able to get most, if not all the services for one price. I think that is coming within two years. Okay. 
Well, if you subscribe to the town, you get Netflix and Disney Plus. <laughs> exactly. The Ringer will do a bundle. You, you come in for, for the town and all of a sudden you get Amazon Prime for free. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Ashley Carmen, producer Craig Horlbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We will see you later this week. <laughs>